welcome to a special edition of Safepedia Safety Talk. We've got a great conversation in store for you today. We're teaming up with the 1% Safer group who are having a conference live and direct. It's called April the 28th, 2021. And we've got some amazing speakers joining us today. We have Professor Dr. Andrew Sharman, who's the managing partner at RMS and a professor at CEDEP. Tim Eldridge, who is the Global Head of Health and Safety at HSBC Bank, and Dr. Sven Timms, who is the Head of Central Prevention Division at the German Social Accident Insurance DGUV, and the Vice President of the International Section of ISSA on Information for Prevention. We're going to cover a lot of topics in this discussion, from looking at Vision Zero, to looking at how can we use marginal gains to improve health and safety in our workplaces. So let's dive into the conversation. So it's really great to have all of you at the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, great to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So I'm just gonna kick this right off, Andrew, and throw it right to you, because I'd really like you to share with us, how did the 1% Safer get started and where is it going? Um, well, it, it, it got started uh, about a year ago tomorrow. I was thinking about this idea of zero accidents. And, and, and those that know me know that I hate the idea of zero accidents as a target. Uh, I think it's a kind of all or nothing type approach. Uh, and and it, it's taking us away from the real work of great health and safety in the workplace. So, so let's put it in context. 2.78 million people lose their lives every year due to workplace accidents and work-related ill health. 2.78 million. It's really easy to say, but it's a number that's so big, it's really hard to get our heads around. So if we break it down, it's 7,616 deaths every day. But yet that number is still too big. So let's break it down even more. It's 317 every hour or one every 10 seconds. Now, that's the work of health and safety. It's in making change towards saving those lives, one life every 10 seconds. So I was kind of playing with numbers and thinking, rather than focusing on all those huge numbers that are difficult to comprehend, why don't we break it down into, into trying to make a little bit of a difference every day? And that's where this 1% safer idea came from. And if we put it into context now with the numbers I gave you, 1% safer every day means 28,000 lives every year. Uh, and, and that was the idea for the, uh, for, for, for the project. It turned into a book by me inviting a bunch of people who I respect and asking them to give their very best advice. And, um, uh, and we've gone from a book to a charitable foundation to now this amazing live and direct conference that's coming up. It's really an honor to be part of this, Andrew. So thank you for kicking this off. Um, and, and, and it goes beyond just what you said, because there's also the family and friends that are also impacted that we often don't think about. So, you know, it's really great to get this conversation started and learning about what are people doing when they're out doing health and safety in the workplace. And so I wanted to turn it to um, Tim and ask you, what are you currently doing in your area of health and safety expertise, if you could share a bit with us. 
Yeah, thanks, Tamara. I'll, I'll give two answers to that. So um, for those who don't know me, I'm the Global Head of Health and Safety for HSBC, which is one of the large international banks. We've got a, around 200,000 200, employees across about 60 countries. Um, and I'm also the uh, one of the vice presidents of IOSH. Now, I said I'd give you two answers. If you'd have asked me 15 months ago, what am I particularly involved in? I would have spoken to you very much around Uh, well-being, around um, employee health, around um, you know, changes in the workplace and how the future of work is looking and how we can build health and safety into that. That's still the case, but um, I found out uh, just over 14 months ago um, that we had a branch in a place called Wuhan, which I'd never heard about. Uh, I didn't even know existed. And then, as you can imagine, um, 14 months later, I certainly know where Wuhan is and been dealing almost exclusively with helping keep our, 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 our employees and, and everyone else um, as safe as we can uh, across the globe during the pandemic. So it's been a, a very interesting 14 months, but one of the things, and I will say a little bit more about later, is that however all-consuming the pandemic has been in our lives, and for us as OSH professionals, how focused we've been on it, all of the rest of the stuff doesn't go away. And all the things that Andrew spoke about that um, kill people, Um, on a daily basis are still there and we must focus on those so we will continue to do so thank you and Sven if you've got a lot going on you're involved in a lot of things can you share with us a bit what is your uh, top project that you're doing actually I would say there are three uh, normally I'm much much more engaged in international cooperation and prevention but uh, due to the pandemic and the uh, circumstances, I'm not that much actually, maybe just uh, online and remote. Um, of course, uh, because I'm the head of the Central Prevention Division at DGOV in Germany, um, we have to do something for the enterprises, for the companies to be uh, become able to uh, produce, to work, uh, although the pandemic uh, effects are influencing their work. And so we are providing uh, practical help for any kind of businesses, how to, um, how to fight uh, the infection risk on the one hand, on the other hand, not to forget the ordinary risk we always have in the enterprises. A second topic is Uh, to improve the cooperation in Germany, we have a special system of uh, state labor inspection on the one hand, which is organized by the regional governments. And on the other hand, we have the statutory social accident insurance scheme in Germany, and we have an inspection scheme of our own. And my part is to organize the cooperation of the both inspection services, especially for the accident insurance part of it. And third thing, this is my passion, I would say, and we will come back to this a little bit later, is uh, cooperating um, voluntarily with the International Social Security Association, ISSA. And there, one of my favorites is Vision Zero, Andrew. <laughs> so thank you for that. You've got a lot of great stuff going on, but there was also the book that Andrew talked about at the beginning, and I know that you contributed to it. So I wanted to kind of share with our audience a little bit 
about what your sections were in the book and that you're going to be talking more on this theme at the conference also. So I'll throw it to you to, to open up the discussion. Yeah, so one of the things, um, and again, going back um, some years, um, as I tend to do, one of the things I, 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 I'm, I've always been a very keen in um, cycling enthusiast, and um, one of the phrases that we all are very, very familiar with now started back in, well, just before 2008, um, in the UK cycling team, something called marginal gains, and it was it was promoted by the then director of UK cycling, Sir Dave Brailsford. And um, for those who don't know, and I'll be very brief, it's about just making very very small improvements to every aspect of how the uh, British cycling team uh, went about their their work, which um, had all put together. Um, had a significant improvement in performance. So little things, for example, around they used to take their own pillow to a hotel because they knew they could sleep maybe 1% better on that pillow. So that's where it started and got me thinking. And, and, and certainly over the last 10 years, I've been, been very focused on that concept and how that can be applied in the world of health and safety, which, of course, it can. And... Um, Yes, it's started with the word term marginal gains, but I'm sure many of the people listening to this will now be much more familiar, perhaps with nudge, nudge theory, which is kind of an extension of that marginal gains approach where we try and put in place small, perhaps subconscious nudges to get people to, to behave better. So my, my section on the book just gets people to start to think about what, what is a nudge and what, how can we nudge people to behave better? and to be safer and one, one example I use which is obviously very topical is around the we're all now familiar with the the, the idea of two meters or six foot separation due to covid and um I don't know I'm sure everyone's workplace and you've been to the supermarket and all you see is these yellow lines on the floor to sh tell you where to, st to, to stand well that's a really good example of nudge theory so people or people automatically tend to go and uh, obey those two meter two, two meter rules so we can apply that across the world of work and many, many of our organizations do, but that's really helpful in just changing, getting a marginal gain in how people behave, which leads to an improvement in safety performance. Yeah, my section in the 1% Safer book uh, deals with Division Viral, and I'm especially focusing in my small contribution on small and medium-sized enterprises. I think this is worldwide and even in a relatively well-organized country like Germany, they on the one hand make up the vast majority of the companies, more than 90%. This is, I think, mostly similar all over the world. And on the other hand, uh, we ha always have a problem to um, approach them with health and safety. And we learned in the course of the ISA campaign, which started 2017, the Vision Zero campaign, in the, uh, on the occasion of the World Congress in Singapore, uh, we learned that this is, uh, let's say, some sort of an emotional door opener. It makes, it, it affects people. And they always find with the included seven golden rules, always one end where they can start. And I, I was very much astonished in the beginning how much uh, this 
campaign was accepted and that strategy applied even in the remotest countries and the remotest areas where you did not expect it. And actually, we did something, a small piece for small and medium-sized companies, and we are on the way to produce something for uh, even the informal sector. I think this is a, a very big thing, especially in Asia and many, I would say most of the countries in Africa as well as in Latin America. And so I wanted to kind of crack that one open a little bit more about Vision Zero because people may um, confuse that with Target Zero and I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on that? Because they are very different um, viewpoints. Yeah, we, we are absolutely not talking about the, the Target Zero. We, we all know we are realistic enough that we will not reach this, never. But yeah, if you are standing in front of your workers, you have a big company, 2,000 people, what, what would you, be your approach? Okay, my dears, I know next year someone will not be with us anymore and two others will have to retire early due to an accident or an occupational disease. No, this is not the right approach. The right approach is to say, okay, I know there are some, uh, um, some things we have to overcome and we have to work for a safer and healthier work for all of us. And we want to do it together. And our, our direction is zero, vision zero. Yeah, I, you know, tomorrow, maybe I can just come in here because uh, I noticed when Sven first started talking, he, he gave a little smile when he first mentioned vision zero, perhaps because at the beginning I launched in with this idea that I hate the idea of a target of zero. And I think what Sven's done is helped unpack some of the, the potential contrast between vision zero and 1% safer. Actually, we're talking about the same thing as Sven's made clear here. This is a mission to make sure that as many people go home without harm every day. Uh, and, and the vision of no one ever getting hurt, I fully subscribe with. I just happen to think that zero as a target is a really difficult, in fact, I'd go as far as saying impossible target for, for us to have any productive benefit from. So, so Sven's idea of, of the vision absolutely aligned with the 1% safer vision too. Uh, and if we can just... Just, I say, it's quite a big challenge, isn't it? Just get the world to be 1% safer every day. That has tremendous benefit for everybody. And, and not just in Germany, where Sven is, or in the UK, where Tim is, or, or in Switzerland, where I am, or in North America, where you are tomorrow. But globally, the impact is colossal. And, and that's really the point of this book. We've got 142 contributors, like Sven, like Tim, uh, from around the world. We've got the biggest names in workplace safety, people like Scott Geller, Hofstede, Decker, Holnagel, Hopkins, uh, Diane Parker, Patrick Hudson, the originators of the very first safety culture maturity model. And we've got business leaders and gurus like Marshall Goldsmith, the world's number one executive coach. Uh, we've, we've got some of the, the, uh, the, the, the professional career heroes of my own, people like Dr. Edgar Schein, the godfather of organizational culture. So the book brings together a mix of policymakers, academics, thought leaders, scientists, uh, business leaders, workplace regulators, as well as global leading OSH practitioners like Tim Eldridge. Uh, and I think when we bring all of these people into the mix from 
Companies like uh, HSBC, where Tim's at, to Siemens and SAP, uh, Mercedes-Benz, DuPont, BASF, GSK, uh, and, uh, and BP, and many more. What you get in this book is really a compendium of ideas in just one short chapter each. Uh, the chapters are just 500 words. So the, the writers are really forced to be concise with what they think is their very best idea at making Absolutely. the world and I'm excited because we're going to keep going on that theme into the conference. So it's an opportunity for us to build a community, come together and learn from one another. What I really wanted to, to drill down into was what Tim was talking about, the marginal gains, because uh, this was, I didn't even know that I was doing it when I did health and safety, but I was um, at that time, um, on the, the work site doing health and safety, right there with the crew, I had 150 people. And it was always saying like, let's observe for the little things that we can change and pick up ourselves on site so that you know we've got less to ask for from corporate. Because to be upfront with you, trying to get anything from corporate can be quite onerous uh, from the front line. So it was about like watching if you see something, pick it up. Like for example, going into the freezer, if there's ice there, we know that if there's ice, there's an opportunity for somebody to slip and fall, right? And if you think about it in a commercial space, people are, are carrying kilos, boxes with kilos of frozen chicken. Can you just imagine if that comes down on your hips, what the, the cost to the person is? And so when you brought this idea out about marginal gains, it was like, oh, that's so awesome. So can you draw down a bit more on that? Yeah, I think two, two things to say. First of all, you hit the nail on the head. The only people who are going to make the difference in health and safety in performance is the people who are doing the work. So, we, you know, I can say whatever I want. Andrew can say whatever he wants. Sven can say whatever he wants. That's not going to make a difference. It's the people who actually do the activity they know it. They know how to do it. Second thing I'll say is I am almost convinced, well, I am convinced that not one of those people who are doing that job are deliberately doing something to cause an injury to either themselves or somebody else. The reasons they happen are because things change or there's certain circumstances that happen at that particular time that cause that incident. And therefore, observing and getting them to observe how they're working and thinking about just what little change might help or even observing each other. And an example I'll give, and it's a very easy one, is where someone is perhaps working on a production line and they are where they stand at the production line is different because they just turn up at the production line and stand there and then start doing their reaching. And they may at times be overreaching. If you put two footprints on the floor, which is the optimal place for them to stand to minimize the ergonomic risk to them, then the reaching, then you've already got a winner straight away. So it's so easy um, that, you know, it can be done by everyone, but it can only be done with the people who are doing the work. You've, you've, really, you've really hit the nail on the head here because this is what this entire movement is about, nudging people to think about safety in practical ways 
right? We've, we've, we've got 137 chapters in the book and conference, it's going to be exactly the same. It's what can we give people right now that can make a difference right now? And, and Sven, that's what you're trying to do with Vision Zero, isn't it? You, you've been talking about this vision for a while and you've been really driving forward into practical steps that people can, can take. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, there was a question about uh, what are the tools, for example, and I already mentioned that in our Vision Zero strategy, the seven golden rules are tools or let's say headlines of toolboxes at least. And we also have practical tools. But what I like to do uh, first when approaching someone who's running a small business, especially those ones, the, the business owners who are working in their in their businesses and maybe they have just two or one or two collaborators working with them uh, that they start to think that they are the ones who are the leaders and that they uh, take this leadership in safety and health and, and well-being as well that was already mentioned and that they have to demonstrate commitment. Sometimes it's, it's so easy just to be um, the leader uh, if you and you were talking about behavior, Tim, behavior of a boss is, is crucial. If the boss does not uh, accept anything, if the people in the work line, uh, they, they wearing hats and, and safety, hard hats and shoes and all that stuff. And if the boss passes through with his suit and his tie and not wearing a helmet, not wearing the safety shoes, this is not the right approach. So leadership starts very easy. If even in Germany, we, we did an assessment uh, how the uh, execution rate of uh, risk assessment is uh, implemented in small and medium-sized enterprise. And in the small and micro enterprises, it was in some sectors less than 10%, honestly, less than 10%. This is uh, in the first glance, a shocking effect. But then if you go into this, kind of enterprise and you ask the people, you see they are wearing uh, safety shoes, hard hats or whatever they need for their special business. And there is something already in place, but it could be more, uh, uh, let's say, organized. And we, we try to help them to organize it and to, to open their mind. So Vision Zero and, and the first approach is a door opener for us. So I wanted to drill down a little bit more about that leadership piece, because a lot of times people think that leadership is all the people at the top in the executive level. And I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet because I'm, I'm calling BS on that. Um, as somebody who's worked on the front lines, the biggest impact is the direct managers and supervisors, as well as in our group dynamics, the dominant informal leader. And so I wanted to ask you, you're the experts, what are your thoughts and recommendations to health and safety people to help move forward with some actionable items to help make their workplaces 1% safer, leveraging all the levers that they have, that it's not a solo act? Well, Tamara, I think you're right. Um, let's be clear, leadership is not a title, it's a behavior. Uh, and we have leaders everywhere within organizations 
both large, like the organization that Tim represents, and small, the type of organizations that Sven's talking about, really trying to get behind and support with the Vision Zero initiative. So, so leadership's a behavior, and it's those behaviors that, that really are going to be the golden thread that runs through the book and the 1% Live and Direct conference. In the way that Tim was talking about, with these practical ideas of, of, of nudges. And I think the, the one thing I'll, uh, I'll add to what Andrew said is, is just empower them to be able to make those changes. If they have to ask for permission all the time to make those 1% improvements, it's never going to happen. That's leadership. It's been taking the taking the initiative, making the changes in it, and the, and then the the managers and those in authority empowering people to make those changes without seeking permission to do so in the first place. Yeah, and, and uh, I think a very important uh, skill is to listen and to rely on the people who are in the front line of a special work or place or business. And yeah, listen to them. They are the experts. They know exactly what's, what's going well and where are the weak points. So near misses, talk about them, not only on the obvious things like accidents or so. They, they are quite obvious. They already happened, but about near misses. What were your predominant near misses in the last weeks or whatever? If you're, we are talking about accident, it's a little bit more complicated if we are talking about, uh, let's health. This is an integral part of, of our business. Uh, health, I think, is a little bit more delicate if you are uh, also attributing uh, things like lifestyle. Um, you know what I mean. Sven, I, I, I want to just pick up on something, if I may. You, you were talking about this kind of idea of, of, of listening being really important as a leader. I think you're exactly right. I just want to flag, though, that I think that listening sounds easy to do, but you can only listen when there's something to listen to. And there's only something to listen to when the leader asks questions. Uh, and you positioned a good one there about, you know, what are the significant near misses that have happened? I think if leaders can get out into the workplace and ask questions that are meaningful, open-ended questions rather than closed questions like, is everything safe or do you have any safety issues? If we ask questions like, what are the most significant near misses? That begins a dialogue. Now, to pick up on your second point, you talked about health being quite a delicate subject for us to talk about as leaders. And you're right to point out that it is a fine line between talking about the health and well-being aspects of the workplace and then the health and well-being choices that individuals make in their private lives. But I think the pandemic has allowed leaders yes. uh, the opportunity to talk about health and well-being in a way that we never had before. So to, to follow your leadership, uh, I, I might offer perhaps, tomorrow that leaders in businesses could simply talk to employees and say, uh, how might the work that you do impact on your health and well-being? Let's talk about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. So small questions allow big answers and meaningful discussions that allow us to make the workplace not just 1% safer, but perhaps 1% healthier too. And I want to build on that because it reminds me of a professional experience I had with somebody who had diabetes. And um, they were putting the person on a task where it was a, a frozen dessert. And so they couldn't take their breaks when they needed to in order to moderate their health. 
And there was a disconnect from the management understanding the needs of this person with diabetes. They just thought that they were being difficult. So I think also bringing some education about what different um, health risks will impact the person's workflow because the job should be to to make the workflow easier, not harder. Absolutely, Tamara. And I think the, the pandemic for whatever good or bad or what or indifferent what it's done is raise the profile of what the health and safety profession can deliver in its expertise in supporting occupational health and um, I've been delighted both you know in my workplace but also with IOSH my my professional body about the the increased um, perception of the health and safety professional and what they can bring to the world of work and how we we and and how we can improve health, whether that be immediately relating to the uh, the, the coronavirus pandemic, or more wider when it comes to things such as mental health and other other parts of well-being. For example, we you know organisations quite often provide food to its workforce. You know how what is that? Is that healthy, nutritional? Are we giving people choices? And what can we do again in one percent? Can we change that menu by one percent to give our our workforce better and more healthy choices? And that brings me back to what Andrew was talking about, our one percent foundation, because it's more than just a book. And I wanted you to touch on that, if you could, Andrew. Yeah, right. Um, Tomorrow, look, the idea originally was was just uh, was was just a book. Create three thousand copies generate some cash and then give that cash away to people that need it. But actually, it's turned into something much bigger than that. We've now got this charitable foundation. Uh, we've got a board of independently appointed trustees, in, including yourself as, as, as one of those. Uh, and uh, our next step is this fantastic live and direct uh, conference in, in April. 100% of the profits from the sale of the book and indeed from that conference tickets too go directly into the 1% Safer Foundation. That's a charitable fund set up with two very clear objectives. The first is to alleviate hardship and provide some help in the form of uh, grants or support in education and development for OSH practitioners, occupational safety and health practitioners that have lost their jobs as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and then the second purpose uh, that we're gonna be allocating the funds from the foundation is to uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, the sorts of organizations that Sven Tim was talking about a moment ago, that perhaps don't have the luxury of having an OSH expert like Tim Eldridge. Uh, and we're gonna be giving these SMEs, these small, medium-sized enterprises, uh, seed, uh, seed capital grants to help them to become 1% safer. So it's super exciting that uh, everybody that buys a book or buys a ticket to come to the conference is contributing to making the world 1% safer, not just for themselves, but for other people beyond their own sphere of influence too. And I wanted to kind of build on that a little bit because as a community developer, that's what I'm known for. One of the exciting pieces for me, Andrew, is the pledges, the 1% pledges that people have done. And so now I'm going to ask you guys because you have accomplished so much in what you've all done. And so I wanted to, to see if you could recommend to, to help our listeners who have taken the 1% pledge and those who wanna be doing it, 
how can we take an idea, like something that we think about wanting to do and create it to be actually actionable in our organizations? Because a lot of us look at that and to be quite candid with you, it's a very daunting thing to try to take on. So I'm gonna throw that at Tim first. I think it's slightly easy for me to say, and I've always worked for fairly large organizations. So, you know, perhaps challenge a little bit about some of the, the difficulties that um, profession, uh, professionals have on, on others in SMEs. But what I'd say is if you've got a good idea, share it, ask people what they think of it. And if everyone goes, no, it's a rubbish idea. Well, you're probably not going to make too much uh, progress with it. But if you if you present it as, you know, I think this is a good idea, the people who it will impact, ask them what they think. If they start to say, well, actually, that's a pretty good idea, you'll get a momentum which then becomes unstoppable and it will happen. Yeah, from my side, uh, I made the experience that if you can get the people on board uh, also striving for health and safe work, uh, then this is the best way you can have. I was a guest in a construction company. It's, it's a medium-sized one with 600 people. And finally, they were one of the award winners of the joint German Osh prizes. And they had a slogan in their business. It was, uh, we only build safe or not. And that was really strange. And I, we were uh, visiting them for some sort of audit before we grant the prize, the German Osh prize. And it was obviously visible everywhere and everybody was part of it. And they said, yeah, this is quite normal and I feel comfortable with it. And uh, yeah, they, they also organized something for the workers. Uh, they invited the, their families to have a safety day for the family, something like this. And I really enjoy those kind of enjoyed those kind of, let's say, not absolutely normal, boring, osh professional stuff they were doing. That was really great. And I would love to have more companies, more business owners to act in this way. You know, Sven makes a great point here, doesn't he? That um, historically, occupational safety and health has perhaps not been the coolest or sexiest of professions. <laughs> Um, you, 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 you haven't in the past seen lots of people leaping off their chairs to, to go to the health and safety training course. But actually what we've seen through the pandemic, as Tim has pointed out, is, is that OSH becomes an enabler for success. Uh, OSH has allowed, uh, or the pandemic rather, has allowed OSH practitioners to stand up on stage in their organizations and help shape and guide and lead the organization into the future through the pandemic. So therefore, safety and health are now the license to operate for businesses today. Uh, and, and in terms of what practitioners and leaders, this is not just restricted to OSH practitioners, what, what can people do to make their businesses 1% safer? Well, I think it's start small with something simple that's easy to incorporate into our daily lives that's clear as well. It's, we're able to see exactly what it is that we want to do. Focusing on the small things that allow them to become habits for us. Um, the thing that I'm trying to do more of at the moment, my little step to make the world 1% safer, is that every day I want to ask at least one person, what one small thing can you do to make this job or this workplace just a little bit safer? 
And I'm committing to asking that question every single day this year. I haven't failed so far yet. I've asked it every day so far in 2021. And I'm going to keep doing it until the end of the year and hope that that helps in some way to make the world just a little bit safer and healthier to live and work in. Oh, yeah, I just love that. Uh, you know, don't try and bite bite off more than you can chew. Or as I I use the phrase, how do you eat an elephant in small bit small bites? Right, you know, if you if you've got a, if you want to try and change something massive, it ain't gonna work. Go for that small and as I say, marginal gain, and you're on the right track. Absolutely, I, I fully agree. Uh, even the two things I wanted to remark is. Even in our organization, we are 1,200 people at DGOV. Uh, I, I would say prior to the pandemic, uh, maybe 10% uh, knew the health and safety professional who is in charge of our workplaces. Yeah, Now everybody knows him or and her and his team. And the other thing is we started to change uh, meetings. We always have online meetings. And in my department, the first question is, and we never did this before in, a, in that formal, in that ritual way, we ask, how are you today? How, how do you feel? What's on with you? Do you have any problems? You know, we are in home offices. Not everybody has a, a big premise where he has enough space. You, he must sit at the kitchen table or something like this. And yeah, this is some sort of a habit now. And I think the people feel good with it. And I got so much new and more information about the people working for me. Great. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I will continue to walk on this path. Well, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. We're almost um, at the end of our time. I wanted to ask, do you have any last thoughts to share with our listeners? I've got one. <laughs> Buy the book and read it. I think you'll find it really, really interesting. There was stuff in there that, you know, really provoked me and, you know, things I hadn't thought of and um, really great practical stuff. But as Andrew said earlier, some of the people are writing that, writing in this book, you know, they've, they've got the gems of wisdom that really matter. So, yeah, get it. And uh, don't forget it uh, for a good reason. Think about the freelancers who have no jobs actually in our profession, health and safety. It's for their benefit. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd go along with what uh, Tim and Sven have said there. Uh, buy the book. Come join us at Live and Direct on April the 28th. Uh, your ticket price and the cost of the book uh, go directly into the foundation to make the world a better, safer, healthier place. Uh, and if, if you're one of those that doesn't have any spare cash at the moment, that can't buy the book or join the conference, don't worry, you can still do something. Just go to 1%safer.com and join the movement. Uh, get onto social media and hashtag 1%safer. Come and join in and share what you are doing to make the world just a little bit safer and healthier for us all to work and live in. And, and I want to actually uh, take one more moment to just kind of... Um, Discuss also that the book is not just for health and safety professionals. I know that we keep saying for health and safety professionals, but what I would love to see 1% um, pushing also is to more collaboration of the safety professional with other people who are in the organization and sharing our resources is a big piece of that. You know, Tamara, I think you're right. Um, I was talking with a CEO this afternoon of one of the world's biggest food and drinks companies. Uh, and, and he was telling me today that 
His view is that over the last year, he's come to realize that leaders will be judged less by bottom line results in this time and much more by their behavior. Uh, and he had called me because he'd received his copy of 1% Safer. And he said, you know, you've given it the wrong title because the stuff that's in here doesn't just make a business 1% safer, it makes a business 1% better. Every one of those ideas makes a better business. So you, they're not exclusively around safety or health or well-being. You can apply this logic. Going back to what Tim said at the beginning, you can apply this logic to absolutely any aspect of business. Well, thank you. That was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you joining me today. Been a pleasure. It was my pleasure, Tamara. Thanks very much for having us, Tamara. Thank you for joining us for this amazing conversation. If you're looking for more information on 1% Safer, go to 1%safer.com. And if you're looking to sign up for our conference, the link is pasted below. So please register. We're going to have a great lineup of speakers joining us. Until next time, stay safe.